He took six days to create the entire world. I'm going to take six minutes and just go over that because I want us to understand a little bit before we get into the scripture I want to talk about how amazing God is. So before we do that, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we've just sung how amazing you are. We've talked, we sang about your willingness to remember all your promises, to forget all our sins, to forgive all our iniquities. We've sung about your glory. We've sung about the fact that you're King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, I stand before you tonight as a person who so often forgets that, so often puts you aside and goes my own way. Father, tonight as we talk, we pray that you would open our eyes to different things in our life that might discourage us from walking side by side with you day by day. Encourage us, strengthen us, give us a a desire to walk closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm kind of sorry we're not in the park. I can understand why not. It didn't rain, though. Are we going to get to go in the park one extra day in August? No, we won't. You know, I feel sorry for Dr. I. I mean, he's trying to predict what God's going to do. But at least we're in an air-conditioned area. Excuse me, stadium. We're air-conditioned stadium, as you would say. Day one, God creates the heavens and the earth and light. And we don't think about it too often, but he created 118 elements that we're aware of here in our world and minerals that are all over our world. They they're claim that there's 3,800 minerals and they keep finding between 30 and 50 minerals each year. Isn't that amazing? I find that quite amazing. He created all the elements and all the minerals and put it in a globe that was without form and void. And then day two, he began to put that in order. So then he separated the atmosphere from the water that was above the atmosphere, and the water was below the atmosphere, and the dry land began to appear. Day three. Vegetation and plants cover the earth. Plant DNA. Life begins. Day four, he organizes the sun, the moon, the stars, and gives it light to provide for seasons and for days and for navigation. Day five, he creates the fish and the birds are created. Animal DNA. Day six, land animals are created. Man is formed and given life with their own DNA. Man is placed in the garden with guidelines, one of which was don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Day seven, God rests. That's a little bit less than six minutes, so that was pretty quick, I think. This is so amazing that uh, this is a book called uh, The God You Thought You Knew, and they quote a few people in here that I'd like to share. These are people who are not... Christian, they're atheists, or at least they're secularists, and uh, they're professors. This is John Lennox. He's a PhD at Oxford University. It says, more, the more we get to know about our universe, the more the hypothesis that there is a creator gains its credibility as the best explanation as why we are here. I thought that was pretty impressive. And this is uh, from Fred I'm not sure if I pronounce his his name correctly, Hole, H-O-W-L-E. He's an astronomer, and he coined the phrase, the Big Bang. A common-sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a superintelligent has monkeyed with physics. The The numbers one calculates from the facts 
seemed to me to be overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. Isn't that amazing? Think about it a little bit. In your body is the DNA that tells your body what everything's supposed to do. In fact, this is posted on the internet in October 13, 2008 by uh, Earth Sky. In the center of every cell, uh, plant cell, from algae to or- orchids, and in the center of every animal cell, with, from jellyfish to you and me, there's a copy of the, of the organism's genetic material. This DNA carries a complex blueprint of organism. It's what transfers characteristics from one generation to the next. There are, pr- there are pretty obviously differences between plants and animals. But at the chemical level, the cells of all plants and all animals contain DNA of the same shape, the famous double helix. What looks like a twisted ladder, uh, what looks like a twisted ladder. What's more, all DNA molecules in both plants and animals are made from the same four chemical building blocks called nucleotides. Isn't that amazing? In each of our cells is a DNA that tells them every exactly where the eye's supposed to be, where the ear's supposed to be, where the fingernail's supposed to be, where the liver's supposed to be, everything. In fact, listen to what uh, Richard Dawkins has to say. I'm amazed at what he... He's an atheist. He's the world's most renowned atheist. And he says this, there's enough information capacity in a single human cell to store the Encyclopedia Britannica all 30 volumes of it, three to four times over, in a single cell. When you were conceived, when the egg and the sperm came together, in that single cell was enough information for all 30 volumes of the Cyclopedia Burnett Britannica, four times over, in that cell. That's pretty amazing. Now, what amazes me is that God created us, God put us together, and so often we don't think he has the right to tell us what what our morals are or what we should be doing because what he says, we disobey. And I'd like to talk about that. If you'll you'll stand with me, I'd like to read you Genesis chapter 3, at least the first few verses. Now the serpent was the most crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then their eyes were both opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sold fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. You may be seated. 
There just so happened after God created man that, it, that there took an event so impactful that, is it, that has touched our lives, that it's influenced your life, my life, and everyone's life since Adam and Eve, and that's the fall. I'd like to take a look at it, and I'd like to examine what are Satan's um, ways that he impacts us. How does he get to us? He, he, he talks here about a fruit, and in our lives, when he's, he's not kind of putting a fruit in front of us, he puts other things in front of us. It could be attitudes, it could be food, it could be actions, it could be possessions, it could be power, it could be our physique, our position, whatever it is. God, God is, is out there trying to make an influence in our life, and Satan is out there trying to destroy it. So let's take a look at, at Satan's agenda. Let's go back to verse 4. And see what he says. The serpent says to the woman, You will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And then the woman saw that it was good, what have you. Let's just take a look at a few of those things. What is Satan doing here? The very first thing that Satan does is he's saying, I want you to question what God's saying. Is what he's saying really true? It's not really true. God's lying to you. He knows that once you take this fruit, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be more powerful than you are now. He doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he doesn't want you to be like him. I was um, watching a, uh, a debate. Penny and I were watching a debate about a month ago or so, and it was a debate between a Christian and an atheist. What amazed me about that debate is when they began to talk about morals. And the atheist was very clear that the Christian had a crutch because he was trying to abide by, quote, quote, God's morals. He says, we don't have to listen to that. As an atheist, we make our own morals. In other words, I don't have to listen to God. I only have to listen to me. And that's exactly what, God's, what Satan is telling Eve right here. You don't have to listen to God. Listen to yourself. What is it? Well, look at this fruit. Look at this fruit. And if you take this fruit, your eyes will be opened, and you'll have a greater intelligence. I can remember when I was working in the uh, world. I was working in a bakery, and, and a lot of the guys that were working with me would take uh, marijuana on a regular basis. And they would tell me, you know what? If you take drugs, you have no idea how much that expands your mind and how much you really come to learn. I'm thinking, really? I had a friend who was smoking marijuana all the time, and every time I saw him, he got less intelligent. And less intelligent, I, I, was, I didn't quite understand that. But his perspective is, I'm gaining intelligence. Look at what's happening. It's opening my eyes to new things, new experiences. I have a friend in California that uh, uh, just wasn't sure who he was, so he decided he wanted to find out new experiences, and now he's paying the price and uh, really hurting. Your eyes will be opened. You'll get more intelligence. You'll get to know more. You'll be like him. You'll have a position of power and authority. That's what that atheist was talking about on, his, on that debate. I've got all the authority in the world. I've got control of my life. 
can't tell me what to do. Number th- the next thing he does is he's saying we're going to know the difference between good and evil. We're going to experience it. You're going to have the opportunity to understand what good is, and you're going to have an opportunity to understand what bad is. What he didn't really tell her is that understanding what bad is has a really poor impact on your life. He hid the pain. He didn't say anything about what really the death was that God was talking about. God was talking about a spiritual death. I want to take a look at some of his methods. We talked about the ways that he really worked with Eve, but let's talk a little bit about his methods. You can see he's persuasive. In fact, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, I put all my things on a piece of paper because we were going to be in the park and be blowing around. So let me get to my paper. In, in um, 1 Corinthians 1.25, it says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is, strong, is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the world's standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to be, to bring to nothing things that are, so that humans being might boast in the men, no human might boast in the presence of God. He uses a whole perspective. I want to make you wise. I want you to do things correctly. I want you to enjoy yourself. I want you to have fun. I want you to be comfortable. Romans 1.21 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, that's what Satan's trying to do. Claiming to be wise. Look, if you eat this fruit, you're going to know what knowledge is. In fact, Eve says when she saw that it was good for food, when she saw it was great to make one wise, she ate of it. He's persuading her. It's exactly what God is talking about here. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Just think about it for a little bit. Our natural thing when somebody hits us is to hit them back. And then they hit us back. And then we hit them back. Then they hit us back and back and forth, back and forth. What good is that? Jesus said, turn the other cheek. And it'll stop the fight. Well, I call you a bad name. Well, you're going to call me a worse name. Before you know it, we're going to be quarreling and quarreling and we won't be friends for a year. What good is that? The Bible says if I have ought against somebody, if I have ought against Paul, I need to go to Paul and talk to him. What's our natural thought? Hey, John, guess what? I want to tell you about Paul. You think he was right? You think I'm right? That's our natural thing. That's what the world says. That's what Satan's trying to get us to do. He's very persuasive. You know, he's false. It's interesting to me that uh, the Bible says this about Satan. In John chapter 8, verse 44, he says, he's ta- Jesus is talking to, the, to the, um, the Pharisees. He says, you are of your father, the devil. You will, your, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning 
He does, not, he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he lies out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you know what? The, if I were to translate the word for, for um, devil out of the Greek, it's diablo. It stands for slanderer, accuser. Never says the truth. Doesn't say the truth about you. The Bible says that he's always bringing accusations before God, false accusations before God about you and me. We so easily listen to him. He's intense. I am sure that when Satan was sitting before Eve and trying to entice her, he's putting on a pretty intense argument. I doubt if we have the entire conversation. And we certainly don't have the attitude or we don't have the the tone in which it's being shared. But I'm sure he's intense because 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. When Penny and I had the opportunity to go see Judy Troutman, we, we were at a safari, and one of the things we got to see at the safari was a couple of days there were lions that were just were stalking their prey. And they would sit down, they would watch, and they'd wait for that animal to get close so they could pounce on them. We didn't see the strike, but the next day we got up and we're out there and we're looking, and here's these lions, they're just stuffed full. They looked like they were pregnant. They were just, they looked like they couldn't fit another thing in, and they'd be walking. It was just an amazing thing to watch them walk. Here's a lion looking to devour you. Why? Because he's trying to discredit God. Ephesians 6 12 says this For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in in heavenly places. I don't know how how many of you watch movies, but in the movies there's Marvel comics that are portrayed, and there's all this power that's supposedly going out. That's nothing compared to what Paul is talking about here. Our struggle is not against Paul or anyone else that we might have an offense with. By the way, Paul and I do not have any problems, so don't think we're having problems. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but we have no understanding of the power that Satan is trying to use with all his angels to disrupt us and take the glory away from Jesus Christ in our lives. It's, a, it's very impressive. It's appealing. Notice what he said to Eve. This is good food. It's appealing to the eyes. It's desire to make you wise. He's going to make everything that's there look really good. It's also very destructive. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 and 19, Jesus is talking about the, the sower, the sower of the seeds. And look, listen to what he has to say. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, evil one comes and snatches it away, snatches away what has been sown in his heart. 
That is what uh, was sown along the path. So Satan is out there trying to take everything away that when somebody has been taught about God, he's right there taking away whatever he can. He's destructive. There's another parable Jesus talks about. It's a a parable of the weeds. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the plants came up, um, when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. Satan is out there trying to go ahead and to destroy our lives and put in our path all these different things that are going to be, to us, irritations. And he's wanting us to start to look to his answers without the answers of God. He's slanderous. I was told recently, I, I didn't have a tan- chance to check this out, but I did see it in so many of the verses I looked at. God, uh, he's trying to say, God is not honest. God's not being honest to you because he knows that once you eat this fruit, you're going to be better off. It said, this person said that 80% of the verses in Scripture on slander refer to Satan. Isn't that interesting? The thing that amazes me about Satan is he never said to Eve, listen to me. I'm the good guy here. He didn't point to himself. What he did is he pointed away from God. I don't know if you've ever had this happen in your life. I've had it happen in my life where somebody has said something wrong about me. They meant it rightly, but it was wrong. They didn't understand what was going on. And everyone around began to think negative of me. You see it, with, you see it all the time in politics. It's just a rumor. But obviously this person is guilty. And that's what Satan's doing. He's the inquirer of the Bible. Slanders. I think one of the things that's interesting about this passage is that Eve gives it to Adam, and Adam takes it. You know, I I think so often in my life I hear, you know, but so-and-so is doing it. It's okay for them. If they can do it, I can do it. After all, the crowds, you know, in in other Christian churches it's happening. It can happen there. Might as well do it over here. By golly, the, I, I, I think that I think Jonah was a myth. It, it's just a fairy tale. Well, I don't have to take that care of that, but that takes care of that part of my Bible. And just on and on and on. If so and so is doing it, I can do it. But there was another passage we should take a look at. Another temptation. I'd like us to take a look at the temptation of Jesus Christ. It's found in Matthew chapter 4. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I won't make you stand, but look at what's happening in Jesus' life and compared in some ways to what happened in, in, in Eve's life. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hand and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall, not, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. It's not clear if Satan spent those 40 days in the wilderness tempting God. One, one passage will infer that, and this passage would, be, would infer it's at the end. But I think there's a lot that can be seen in these passages that when we take a look at the way that Satan comes about it, First of all, the natural thing after 40 days would be, hung, would, be, would, would be hungry. And Satan comes in and says, you know what? God wants you to be comfortable. God wants you to, to, to have all your needs. You should shake, take these stones and change them in, into, uh, into bread. That's the, same kind of, that's the same kind of argument he goes before us when he says, I want you to be comfortable. I, I, I want you to... I think God wants me to be happy. I have a sister who, who divorced her husband because those very words, God would want me to be happy. He was a fine husband. After they were divorced, later on she was sorry about it. But then it was too late. But God wants me to be happy. I wish, she, I, wish I could tell you the times I've heard people who've had affairs that felt like, but God is in this real close friend after shortly got into ministry, was in an affair. He's actually in the ministry. Was kicked out of his ministry. I sat down with him. He says, you know, there's these verses, and God wants me to be happy. We're in love. Well, you're supposed to be in love with your wife, not somebody else. These are things that we allow to hit us, and these are, the, these are the distractions. These are the things that Satan's trying to draw us aside. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be comfortable. He takes him on the pinnacle of the temple. He uses scripture to persuade Jesus to jump off and allow the, and allow the angels to protect him. He misquotes scripture. So many different people have gotten into trouble because they've allowed just scriptures just to impede their lives in the wrong manner. I don't have time to go into it, but it's the illustration I gave about this one friend of mine that had the affair and said, this scripture, this scripture, this scripture. It's just one illustration. We allow sometimes the scripture to lead us wrongly because we're not listening to God. Then he offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if he were to worship him. He offers him a shortcut. What's unique about this is that you think Satan's telling him the truth? Do you think if Jesus just... just I, 
wouldn't happen, but just, just think about it. If Jesus would have worshipped Satan, do you think Satan would have followed through with that promise? I don't think so. And first of all, he didn't have that opportunity because God's the one that can give that authority. God's the one that can take it away. And Satan will lose that entirety when Christ comes again. He'll be put in chains. He won't have an opportunity to, to, to lead us astray again. But he tries to take us on, on that perspective, and he used Scripture in this way of doing it. Tell everyone you know. Let's see what I was thinking here. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, end, the whole perspective here, I think, what Satan is trying to do is the end justifies the means. Man's logic. You know, one thing that happens if we are in a dispute, there are several different ways that we, as people, like to um, deal with it. Tell everyone, tell everyone we know how bad that person is. Or we're, we clam up and we're not going to talk to him. When I was young, my, my mother had several different aunts, and one, one of the aunts was, was always making candy on, on a stick, beautiful little suckers that we always enjoyed, different animals and stuff like that. And if we didn't hear from her for a year, we knew something was wrong. She wasn't going to tell us, but something was wrong. So often we're in, when we're in a dispute, we'll clam up, and I've heard husbands and wife don't talk to each other for days. Is that what Jesus says? Or we wake a person over the coals. Keep on doing it. You did this wrong. And for the rest of their life, you know, you did that wrong. You did that wrong. You hurt me this day, and you did that wrong. Jesus says, don't let the anger, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Get dealt with. If you have a problem with somebody, if I have a problem with, with Pastor Paul, I go see him. I gotta sit down and talk to him. That's what the scripture says. If we still can't iron it out, then I gotta take somebody else with me. Follow scripture. Have a lot less quarrels, have a lot more comfort in our life. Here's how Jesus handled this handled Satan's temptations. He said, He said it, and this is kind of a paraphrase, but he says it's more important to follow God's word then rely upon my own want, my own comfort, or my own logic. What does God say? God says, and Jesus says to say, we shouldn't worry about, we, every word of God is our bread. Not the physical, but the spiritual. The second temptation is don't test God. Don't just think we can get away with it. You know, so-and-so is getting away with it. Maybe I can get away with it. I had a friend who, who, who uh, was in an automobile accident, and he said, you know what? I knew I, what I was doing was wrong. I knew I knew what I was doing I was, was wrong. But my friends were doing it, and I was going to do it. It was an automobile, automobile accident and lost the use of his, four, his arms, his legs, and um, was rather tragic. The other thing is he did is he commanded Satan to leave. Isn't that amazing? He commanded Satan, get away from me, Satan. I've had enough of you. Because you're, I'm going to worship God. Our loyalty belongs to him and only to him. We often take the responsibility of being God in our own way. I'm God. I get to decide what's right and wrong. I get to determine my own destiny. I don't have to listen to what God has to say in his word. That's why we deal with it. I'd like to give us some scripture. I'm going to go through it rather quickly. 
But I'd like to give us some scripture that allows us to handle the temptations that Satan throws at us. And what I've done is on the back, in the back, on either side of the, uh, on either side of the, um, the back doors and on the information booth are these scriptures. Feel free to take them with you. But the scripture tells us several different things, four different things at least that I'd like us to consider. The first is that we need to be watchful. In 1 Peter 7 through 11, we've already talked part of it, but he says this, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour you and me. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you I'm anxious because of what somebody is saying. I'm being slandered against by Paul. What am I going to do? I'm going to let God take care of it. And he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish me. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then in Galatians 1 to 4, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, who, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one of us test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Be watchful. James 1.14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured, when he's enticed by his own desires, he's not watching out for himself. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Jesus said to his disciples, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Several scriptures talk about resisting. We already looked at one in Peter. But then in Ephesians, it says this, Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Resist those desires to be angry and stay angry. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Notice that? Stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. One scripture says, stand firm, therefore. James 4, 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The easiest time to, 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 uh, to give up drugs is before taking it the first time. Easiest time to stop from swearing is not swearing the first time. Easiest time to not have an affair is not having it the first time. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Therefore, um, and he goes on, um, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Third thing is flee. 
I wonder what it would have been like if Eve would have fleed from Satan in the garden. If she would have had some of the other fruit instead of the one she took. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But sexual immorality, a person sins against his own body. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, among, along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, in, uh, ignorant conversa- uh, controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. 1 Corinthians 10.14, uh, therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. Remember, the, uh, remember Joseph when he went down to Egypt? And Potiphar was looking at this nice, beautiful young man. She says, come, come. I'm here alone. Nobody will know it. Just you and me. Joseph flees. Pays for it. God blesses him. And then fourth is to get help. No temptation is overcoming that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will, let you, he will not let you be tempted above your ability. But will, with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There's not a person in this room who hasn't been tempted like you are. And some of them have overcome it. And when you find out you're in temptation, you can't overcome, find somebody else who's overcome it, who can be your accountability partner. If it's pornography, there's a lot of ways of doing that on the Internet. People in the church say, well, I'm going to call you every day, call you every week, call you every night, call you every hour if you need it. Hebrews 4.15 says, we, have a, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I want us to take notice of that. Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. But the scripture tells us that there is not a temptation that you will face, that I will face, that he he wasn't tempted by. Man, he was was tempted sexually. He was tempted to be judgmental. He was tempted in every way that we have. And he says, yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. I don't care how badly you're sinning. I don't care how badly you're being tempted. God is saying, I understand it. Come to me. I understand it. Come to me. I've got mercy. A little bit earlier in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, 14, he says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Christ, likewise took, partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death. That's Satan. That is is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it was not the angels who helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he was made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, that's a covering or an appeasement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. You can get help from Christ. You can get help from the Holy Spirit. How do we deal with the temptations of the, Holy, of, of the devil? We go to God. 
We go to a God who has made this world. We go to a God who has made our body. We go to a God who has restored our soul. We go to a God who has forgiven our sins. We go to a God who has died on the cross because he wants us to have victory over the evil one. I want to remind you, Satan's not going to be out there and say, this is me knocking on your door. He's going to take the things around us like he did with Eve. He's going to seduce us to turn our back on God. Our goal is like we sung about earlier, to keep our eyes above. We sang hallelujah to the Lord of heaven and earth. Just keep our eyes focused on Him, but acknowledge how Satan is fighting for us. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you. I can't even imagine what you might be totally like. The things we see in this world are just unbelievable. And your wisdom, your power, and the way that you organize this entire, just this world, said you, you are a God that's above all. And Father, we, we have an enemy. And he seeks to destroy us and turn us away from you. I pray, Lord, that you'll keep us from him. And then we will flee from him and come to you in Jesus' name. Amen.